Do you know when a, a, like a show or a comic appeals to the entrance of an audience to get like a cheap response or a cheap laugh? You know that? I'm a proud Texan. That, that was supposed to be the cheap reply. So, okay, never mind. I thought I was just going to be like, yeah, Texas, right? I'm a proud Texan, meaning uh, I grew up all over Texas. Uh, and I remember, you know, in the state of Texas, public schooler, you, you have a year dedicated to learning the history of Texas. It's so important. You have to learn Texas history. Now, it's so important that they give a year of it to, but it's so unimportant that they always make a coach do it, right? <laughs> it's always, it's like, oh. This is so important, let's give a whole year to it. But also, this guy uh, who doesn't really care to be here, I don't think, is going to teach you about it. But I remember Santa Ana was defeated at the Battle of San Jacinto after uh, winning at Goliad and Alamo prior to that. But when he's defeated at San Jacinto, he flees. He changes his his, uh, outfit. He puts on what's called like a private's uniform. And uh, he's hiding out in the bushes. Well, they find him. They grab him. He refuses to, to walk, and so they throw him up on the horse. But they're riding in, and they asked him, like, are you Santa Ana? And he said, no. I, you know, I'm wearing the, I'm wearing, you know, I, I'm, I'm connected to him. I'm, I'm an assistant. I'm a part of the crew, you know, but I'm not him. Well, they're riding back into camp, the guys who caught him and, and Santa Ana on the back of the horse. And uh, all the prisoners see him. Viva Santa Ana, El Presidente, El Presidente. Like, they're so excited. And so the captors didn't understand who this guy was until the prisoners uh, just blew up his spot, right? Just told, hey, there you are. And they're like, oh, he is? Yeah, okay. And so they now know who he is and arrest him. He took off his uniform, but the, the reality is he's still El Presidente. Now, this morning, I say that to say, we're led to wear the right uniform. We're led this morning to wear the right uniform, to put on the right clothes. The goal for Paul this morning is for us to separate ourselves from the lifestyle we once lived. That's the goal. So look at it with me. Ephesians 4, verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, there's one around you underneath a seat. If you don't have a Bible at all, don't own a Bible, take that Bible home with you. But I want you to see this with me. Ephesians 4. It's near the back. You'll see Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians. That gives you some context. All right, Ephesians 4, verse 17. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. So no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Gentiles uh, is often speaking of the 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 Gentile world, the non-Christian world, but best for us to actually interpret this in our understanding so we don't get confused here. He's not talking about uh, non-Jewish people. What he's saying is pagans. The people that don't know God, that aren't following God, that aren't aware of Jesus, that are following things other than Jesus, that are going after other gods, no longer walk as the pagans do. And then he gives this list of of what it looks like. How do they walk? How do they live? How do they run their lives? And he says they have futility of their thoughts. 
That means they live their lives based on meaningless views and perspectives. Where life is vain and futile and without purpose. Why? It's vain and without purpose unless it's ordered around God. Unless it's God-centered. It's the futility of their thoughts. Now, hardness of their hearts, he says. Their Their heart is cold toward God. Their will and thinking has become insensitive to God. Insensitive, like, don't sense me. I don't don't really sense his presence. I don't sense the need to. I don't sense where he is, what he's about, his authority. It's become insensitive to God and then end up actually withstanding him. That's the hardness of heart. If, if you're thinking about this, you see uh, clearly in Romans 1 this happens, but you go back all the way to, to Moses and Pharaoh, and this is what happens with Pharaoh, right? He hardens his heart, and also what God gives himself over to this hard heart. That's also Romans 1. Hard hearts. Callous, he says. They've ceased to feel pain. They're numb. Self-indulgent obsessively focused on living for themselves, self-indulgent, giving over to every desire, saying yes to every desire, not having the wisdom to discern that not every desire that I have is good. They have immersed themselves in an undisciplined lifestyle of gratifying every self-oriented and unholy pleasure. That's how encompassing he's describing the pagans. Like they let themselves go in sexual obsession addicted to every sort of perversion. But if you keep building this out and think about what he's saying here, this also includes drunkenness and laziness and self, uh, self-obsessed social media, and pornography, and sexual sin, and every kind of sexual sin. Romans 1 tells us that sexual sin thrives when we exchange the truth of God for lies and idols. So this is what they've done, the pagans have done. And so what? Sexual sin is thriving, it's abounding, it's all over the place. Now, most non-Christian Gentiles would have taken offense to this letter if they got it, right? This scathing description of your life. Now, if you don't believe Jesus and are checking this out this morning, and you can sense that in what I'm saying, you're the pagan, and I'm describing your life in this way. And you may feel frustrated. First, thank you for not walking up here and slapping me. And then walking to your seat and yelling at me to keep your God out of my mouth. Thank you for that. But secondly, maybe this is your life. Maybe this is your life. Maybe the Bible is capturing your life, the meaningless you feel. The hardness, coldness you feel towards Jesus. The sexual confusion and damage. 
the insatiable desire for more and more and more than moving from one moment of satisfaction to another because you're never quenched, you're never satisfied. I think it's painting real life. It's painting your life. And life apart from Jesus is meaningless, ultimately. You waste this life on yourself with no hope afterwards. G.K. Bill, author of a, a, a book, he tells an extreme example of his philosophy pr professor. And his philosophy professor was a uh, devoted, practicing, atheistic existentialist. Very devoted. Where G.K. said that, that, that even more than, most, more than some Christians he knew, that, that this guy was committed to his beliefs and then lived it out fully in practice. But what that meant is that he believed there's no God, which means there's no authority, which includes the university he worked for. And so what did this professor do? He showed up to class to teach once in a while, right? When he felt like it. Well, he eventually gets fired <clears throat> from the university. And a few years later, G.K. Bill read a newspaper headline that said, University Professor Commits Experience in Suicide. Because life had no meaning, he thought that perhaps in this act, he would find some irrational, mystic meaning. So he took his life slowly and took notes while he was doing it, writing to his students, and this is what he wrote. These notes are for my students. And in no case I find, and in case I find no meaning in this suicide, and I doubt I will because there is no meaning in anything, maybe they will find some rational mystic meaning in my thoughts as I'm dying and taking notes. I know that's an extreme example, example but that is what it looks like. The futility of thoughts, the hardness of heart, the callousness, the giving over to every self-indulgent desire. He devoted himself to the idol of irrationality and he became irrational and was destroyed by it. Or as G.K. Bill says it, we become what we worship to our own ruin or restoration. He, the professor, devoted himself to this idol of irrationality, became irrational, and was destroyed by it. That's what happens. We become what we worship to our own ruin or our own restoration. And Jesus makes sense of everything and gives meaning to life and meets your longings for a father who actually fully knows you and fully loves you. So why not give your life to Jesus now? Why not? Like you may walked in here frustrated, I'm talking about this is the, your life, but if this is your life, then what are you going to do with this? No hope, no meaning, no purpose. Those deep longings unmet. And Paul is saying, Jesus is the one that makes sense of everything. Jesus is the one that gives life meaning. Jesus is the meaning of existence. He is the purpose of our lives. And so if you never hit that North Star, you'll be confused and dazed and hopeless the rest of your life and no hope after death. 
So Jesus is calling you to see him, to look to him, to behold him, to worship him. What you've done thus far and what all of us did before we met Jesus is we were worshiping something other than him and it was ruining our lives. Now, Christians, what about us? How are we to walk? Look at verse 20 with me. So no longer like this, okay, but how are we to walk? But that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, to take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. No longer walk like the pagans because Jesus has a different life for you, a better life for you, a more joyful life for you, a beautiful life for you. Peter O'Brien says it this way, learning Christ means welcoming him as a living person and being shaped by his teaching. Jesus, if you're in Christ, he's made you new, he's washed you clean, he's clothed you in his righteousness and brought you as a child to the Father. This is who you are. Then we live out of this new identity. A new God, a new heart means a new lifestyle. And that's what I mean. I know it goes against the grain. I know it goes against the current because everything else in life is is do something, get an identity, prove yourself, and get God's acceptance. Get that boss's acceptance. Get that spouse's acceptance. And the gospel flow is no, this is who God is. He acts graciously out of his character, out of his identity, provides for us his son, makes us new, gives us life, then we live out that new identity. That's what he's saying here. A new God, a new heart means a new lifestyle. And what does that look like? Well, he'll get into specific actions to change next week. Very specific actions. I'll tell you right now. Put off lying and put on truth-telling. Very specific. Put off unrighteous anger and put on righteous anger. Put off stealing and put on working and giving. Put off corrupt talk and put on helpful talk. And then we can even go back to verse 1 of this chapter, chapter 4, you can look at it and see how we are to walk together. That we're supposed to be on the same road, going on the same direction together, walking with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That's how we're to walk. Okay? So hear me. Humility, gentleness, bearing with one another, Making every effort, right? Okay. What if you, look at me, 
What if you are arrogant and disregard someone? What if you are harsh and lash out at someone? What if you are impatient and demanding? What if you are selfish and divisive? You put off and you put on. That's what he's saying. You take it off. You take off the old shirt from the old life and you put on the new shirt that Jesus gave you. And you walk in the identity that he's given you. And you walk in light of what he's done for you. And you walk with the spirit of God who was gifted to you by Jesus when he ascended saying, I reign victorious. Now, enjoy me and get to work having fun with each other. <laughs> That's what he's done. What Paul is describing here in this put off and put on is repentance. A lifestyle of repentance. Not a one-off act of repentance, a lifestyle of repentance. Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology defines it this way, a heartfelt sorrow for sin. So an actually godly grief for sin. Not, not, not I'm sad that I got caught. Not, I'm sad that this is going to affect me. I'm sad about the concept. No, I'm godly grief for the actual sin. A renouncing of it and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. So a lifestyle repentance is one of regularly turning or regularly redressing, right? Regularly taking off and regularly putting on. Turning from sin and turning to Jesus. Turning from idols and lies and turning to worship Jesus, turning from worshiping an idol and turning to worship Jesus, turning from us busted thinking and false worldviews and believing the truth in Jesus. Now, this includes, this repentance includes here, next week we'll see very specific actions, right? But some of us jump to that and move past this part and don't realize that repentance must include your entire heart, which includes your actions, your will, but also your affections and your thinking. It's got to be all-encompassing. If you have like a, a shallow repentance, you're going to have a, a short end with that. Meaning, if you only deal with the action that's on the surface and don't get underneath that action, what's actually going on in your heart, then you may cut off the weed that's sticking out of the ground and we can't see it for a little bit. But it's going to grow up and look like something else or it's going to grow up and come exactly the same. This includes our actions, like lying and like telling the truth, but it also includes our thinking and our loves. In the Bible, that's what the human heart encompasses, all three things. Our thinking, our loves, our affections, and our will, our choices. James K. E. Smith, it's a lengthy quote, but, but really captures this. He says, a life of discipleship, a life of obedience and joy, a life of repentance and transformation is not the fruit of merely intellectual assent or conviction. Indeed, the spiritual giants throughout the ages 
think of Book 8 of Augustine's Confessions, regularly attests that the challenge of discipleship is not solely one of knowledge, but more a matter of will and desire. The husband can know he's not supposed to be doing X and Y, but still finds himself almost helpless to stop. Why is that? Augustine would say that this is because his love remains disordered. Pentecostal spirituality implicitly says that the affective and emotional core of his identity needs to be reformed and redirected. Changes in a way of life will not take place until that affective core is reached. So let's just stick with lying. Underneath lying, the action of lying is possibly the idol of approval. Because why? That man must lie or hide or deceive to keep that person's acceptance or to gain that person's acceptance. Because what do they love? They love approval. Now, what might be underneath that? A love. Well, it's going to be a disbelief. It's going to be a disbelief in the gospel. What does that maybe be? It would be a disbelief that I am fully accepted and loved by the Father. If I don't believe that, then I'll run out trying to chase uh, uh, security and uh, identity and relate on these relationships. But if hmm, I'm loved by the Father and I believe that, I trust that he's accepted, my, then I'm going to love him rather than approval. And then I can tell the truth because I'm already accepted by God, so I don't have to hide from you. I don't have to lie to you. I don't have to give you those, those, those half-truths. I can be honest and speak honestly and tell the truth. Because I love the Father, and I believe that he's fully accepted me. So it gets down all the way down into our heart, into all aspects of it. And that's what repentance is, is turning everything. Your actions and your thinking and your loves. to go back to the list from the Gentiles to see how they lived. But if his goal, if his goal is for them to separate themselves from the lifestyle they once lived, then his goal would be the same for us. Meaning, we can use this as a grid to see where am I living and thinking and loving like a pagan instead of a son or daughter? We can think of the sinful traits and attitudes that need to be taken off, stripped off. Romans 13 adds this part. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so let's go back to the first paragraph and just be open before the Lord. Honest before the Lord. And see, is there, is there some garment? Stick with me. Is there something that I'm wearing that I need to take off? So think about the futility of their thoughts. Maybe you are living your life based on meaningless views, false perspectives. Maybe you're feeling like life is vain and futile and without purpose because you've begun to 
drift and over time now you've reordered your life around something other than God and so your life is no longer God-centered it is you-centered it is they-centered it is it-centered whatever it may be maybe you've been basing your part of your life on western humanistic philosophy man-centered Philosophy, a man-centered life, a you-centered life, which could mean a sense of futility and hopeless depression. Even as a Christian, yes, you can feel those things for various reasons. But I'm saying here is that you can feel these things possibly because of if you're living or basing your life, your thinking on this hollow worldview, then you're going to end up hollow. What about hardness of heart? Maybe your heart has grown cold towards the Lord. You feel distant, numb to him, maybe even calloused. Where you treasured times within the past, it's not a priority. Where you sensed his love for you, now you don't care. Has your heart become hard to him, cold to him? What he's doing here is gently showing you that there's something between you and him. And that's a good friend. The conviction from the Holy Spirit is to say, hey, there's something going on between us. This is relational. There's something going on. You, you've drifted from me. Your heart has gone after other lovers. You, you, you have sought your security in something other than me. And Jesus is saying, come back to me. Let's work this out. Let's reconcile. Turn from this and come to me. Even, it's a, even if it's self-indulgence, maybe this is you, where you've given yourself over to every desire without the wisdom to discern what is good desire, what's a bad desire, just saying yes all the time, which could mean drunkenness, laziness, what I said earlier, sexual immorality, pornography. Jesus is calling you to turn from your idols that promise to free you, but only actually enslave you. Jesus is calling you to turn from the lies and false worldviews, Jesus is calling you to turn from the sinful words and actions. He's calling you to put off all of this and put on him and live with him and live like him. I mean, you can, you can wear the dirty shirt of the old life and pretend like Santa Ana, but it won't change who you are. Do you hear me? You can wear that dirty, shameful garment and pretend like you're not a Christian and pretend as if you're a pagan and hide out in the bushes like Santa Anna and say, I'm going to live my life uh, with, with this identity, with this life. It won't change you underneath that silly garment. You've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ and nothing can change that. So why not match up your identity with the shirt that you're wearing and 
and be a constant, consistent follower of Jesus and say, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going to put on my Jesus shirt. I'm going to put on Jesus and I'm going to follow Jesus and not live like the pagans do. You're new, so live new. You're forgiven, so forgive. You're filled with the Spirit, so live with joy. You're holy, so live holy. We become what we worship to our own ruin or restoration, so let's repent habitually. Keep turning to Jesus. Quickly. Quicker than we did in the past. And see Him afresh daily as we behold Him see him in his glory, give thanks to him, live like him. Because he's ours and we are his. And nothing's going to change that. Father, we thank you for this morning, for being able to be together with your people in your presence, to sing to you, to hear from you. But Lord, I ask that you would be kind to us this morning specifically your kindness that would lead us to repentance your gentle voice that is calling us to turn from lesser joys to turn from unwise ungodly habits to turn from worthless idols and to see you and to turn to you and reorder our life around you And so I ask that you lead us in repentance of whatever it may be this morning. For those that are not Christians, I I pray that you would lead them to repent and trust you this morning. For those that are, I, I pray that you lead us to treasure you, to see you, to forsake and renounce and commit to say, I'm gonna follow you in this, Lord. So Holy Spirit, please move lead us to you and I I pray that as we turn from whatever it is and we turn again to you and see you that you would do what you always do you would fill us with joy and that we would express that joy in you our hope in you our glory in you in Christ's name Amen